0: Hey Atari hackers, welcome to this week's podcast episode, this week we have something quite special for you. Mark and I are both interviewing the father of all public case studies and building a site in front of an audience, Spencer Halls from Niche Pursuits. Spencer has been in this industry for so long that when he started Niche Pursuits, the first Thor movie was not yet released. So because Spencer has a lot of experience building, you know, niche sites and authority sites, we wanted to poke him on a different of topics that we know are quite relevant to you. So, inside this interview, you will find things like an update on ontheyard.com which is his latest case study, his views on the recent core algorithm update changes and how he changed the way he builds websites because of it, how he approaches platforms like YouTube and Pinterest to gain traffic to his site and make money eventually, all his monetization tactics and how he dealt with the change of Amazon commissions and, you know, how he does sponsored posts and a bunch of other cool ways he makes money with his sites, and a lot more. So, if you are excited for this interview, don't forget to subscribe whether you're on podcast platforms or on YouTube. And if you're on YouTube, don't forget to drop a thumb up and click on the notification bell so that you don't miss our future videos. Now I'm going to stop teasing you. Let's get started with the interview. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. All right, so today we're trying something new. We're trying a podcast with three people. So it's not just going to be, how's it going, Mark? It's going to be, how's it going, Mark and Spencer? And I'll let you guys just talk over me.
1: Spencer, why don't you go first and and tell us how it's going? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> things are going well, man. It's
2: Friday morning for me, so uh, I'm trying to cram some work in here and then enjoy the weekend. But business is good, family's good, everything's going well.
0: Yeah, much better than 2020, right? 2021, <laughs> such a different year. Um.
2: <laughs> Th- things are looking brighter for 2021, yes. We're off to yeah, a good start.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's fine. I mean, to be honest, for us in online business, is gone quite well to be honest it's like it's you know i'm not i'm not necessarily happy of what happened in the world but uh i would say that uh, overall business been quite okay especially compared to most people so it's like i'm not gonna complain yeah would you agree
2: yeah i agree i think people uh 2020 was just felt like a long year you know in some ways and people are positive i think and ready for um
0: well it's not just that. I think it's important for people who start who are in online business to not necessarily share the negativity of a lot of people maybe around them because there's a lot of opportunities that are like that have been arising recently as well. And a lot of people have done really well actually. I was watching uh, so there's a French YouTube channel called Marketing Mania. This guy is like really, really popular. And same, he made a whole video of how like 2020 was his best year ever and he did really good actually. And a lot of people did actually. Yeah, so, let's be positive.
2: in terms of business, actually, you know, we're kind of in a unique situation in that we're an online business and more people have been online, it seems like more people quarantined at home. And so my business did really well in 2020. And, you know, I hope that continues this year. And so, yeah, we're kind of in a unique situation where things, you know, haven't been so bad business wise
0: I agree. And Mark also, how's it going? You, still did, you dodged the question, so... I thought I was going to get away with having <laughs> to answer that this week. Like, you I just passed it any... to Spencer co like, cowardly and just like tried to avoid it, so no.
1: I don't have any great answer. It's going fine nothing special you know we're we're still locked down here not really doing much just we, just working
0: we can sir yeah by the way spencer in this podcast i know we were trying to be polite in your podcast but in this podcast it's a tradition we talk over each other all the time so feel free to interrupt us at any time and just talk over us or shout louder than us etc that's kind of how it works here so just i just wanted to just welcome you to this and see how it goes
2: all right see if i can get in the mix sounds good
0: I like it, but what are we talking about first, Mark? Let's just jump into into the actual episode.
1: So one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on, Spencer, is because you have a very public case study, owntheyard.com, uh, which you've you've done kind of month by month analysis of of how it's going and talking about some of the things you've done, and we just wanted to really like pick your brain on on how this has sort of transpired, what you did, what's working, what you would do differently if you're doing it again, and and just learn or share with our viewers how Spencer Halls builds niche sites in 2021. So why don't you start by telling us about maybe your approach to choosing a niche? and Do you call it niche or niche?
2: I'm a niche guy, but, uh, you know, we can agree to disagree, I'm sure, on that one. (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes. <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested in this one because you changed your mind, actually. I, I was rereading all the case study and you changed your mind at the beginning, right? For the case study.
2: I think I've always called it niche.
0: Uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about actually picking the niche for yeah. the, for the project. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah, so the case study, you're right. I did. So let's jump into that just a little bit in just 30 seconds, like why I do a case study for anybody that's curious. You know, this is my fourth time to, to build a niche site in public. And it's an interesting exercise in terms of just showing people step by step, real world, you know, here's a site, I'm showing everything that I'm doing. And it's a great way for them to learn. And so that's why I do that. The other benefit for me, hopefully, is that more people come read my blog, and they're excited to get really good actionable tips, right. So I hope that it ends up being a win win that I build a site that they can follow along, I grow my audience. And then The kicker is if the case study site actually makes money, right? Which fortunately it has in this case. So picking the niche, I like to go into something that perhaps you don't have to be a highly skilled individual to kind of be an expert, right? That's kind of one thing. The other thing is really I'm just looking for a market where I can rank for lots of easy to rank for keywords. Is there a lot of sort of gaps in the market when I'm doing my keyword research as I look at, and really it just comes down to looking at the first page of Google. I look at a bunch of keywords. Are there lots of keywords that I can find where it feels like they're, it's not dominated by authoritative sites with a high, you know, domain authority? Are there opportunities there? So that's what I'll do. I'll go and I'll try to find. Can I quickly find 20 or 30 keywords in a particular niche that I feel like, you know, if I wrote an article on this, I could rank for relatively easily without a ton of link building. So that's kind of the just quick overview of how I'd pick a niche. Now, when I first did this, as Mark uh, went into, I got all excited for some reason about sort of senior living. Baby boomers are getting older, people are retiring. I just felt like this is a growing market, and it is. Uh, And I kind of got really excited, okay, I'm gonna go into this space and write about products that, you know, seniors might need as they get older, that sort of thing. And I maybe pulled the trigger too quickly because as I did more keyword research, even though I could find by 10 or 20 keywords that were easy to rank for, I couldn't find very many more as I looked at lots of individual keywords. It just seemed like, okay, this is a harder market than I thought because it was dominated bo- more by just very authoritative sites, you know, nursing homes and just other entities that have a lot of expertise in the area. So. I then switched over to backyard stuff, for lack of a better term. So Own the Yard covers like backyard gardening, backyard landscaping, backyard games, basically anything you can do in your backyard. That's kind of what owntheyard.com covers. And the site, I started it in late 2018. So it's been up for a little over two years. Um, and it's it's doing pretty well at this point. Last month, it made about... $3,700, uh, between, you know, Amazon associates and Ezoic ads.
0: Nice. It's been a while you gave an update as well on this, right?
2: Yeah. I hadn't done a, a big update for, I, I did it monthly for about the first year and then I've done it less frequently. I, I did do an update just a couple of weeks ago. I published it on my blog, kind of an annual review of 2020. Um, is what I did. So,
1: so I have a question about monetization. Do you consider the monetization ceiling or potential when you're doing your, your niche research?
2: Yeah. I take that into consideration with a niche site and like a, a public case study site. The ceiling can be a lot lower in, in my opinion, right? Like if I'm really just the, the goal was, I think to make a thousand dollars after, well, I wanted to make a thousand dollars basically before I re- rebuild the site. And that ended up being about a year, just shy of a year, I believe is when the site started making a thousand dollars a month. So I, I'm really okay if I build a site and the ceiling is like two, $3,000 a month. If I were to build a site more privately, I would, sh- my target would be quite a bit bigger actually, right? I would want something that I felt like could at least be a six figure a year type niche site.
1: Is that because you're worried about copycats and the potential revenue loss from, from that?
0: That was one of my questions. Like, does it help or does it hurt to shy publicly, you know?
1: Right. Yeah,
2: that's one of the considerations is I, when I build the niche site, I, I want it to do well. But like, if it starts doing really well, that just attracts way more competitors. And it does get more difficult. And because this is my fourth time around, I'm very aware that there's going to be a ton of people building a site in the exact same niche as me. This happened with my survival knife site, it happened with other sites that I did as a public case study. People,
0: at least the site as well, right? The shaving one.
2: Yes. Yeah. The <laughs> shaving site as well. And, uh, people are just lazy or they see success and they're like, ah, I can make a quick thousand bucks a month if I copy his site exactly. And so there's collateral damage that comes along with doing these, you know, case studies. And so I'm sort of just happy and honestly just kind of relieved that I can get a site that's making a couple thousand dollars a month that I did in public because it looks really bad if you build a site and it totally... I was going to say, it's a risk, you know, when you start. It's a big it's risk. Like,
0: it's like, even if you've done it many times, I mean, it, it can happen that a site doesn't do that well, etc. And, you know, it can happen to us, it can happen to anyone. You it know? can
2: happen to anyone, right? There's no guarantee that Google is going to pick up your site and and do well. And so uh, sort of the the other question you asked is, does having it in public help the site? That's a good question that I did build it to a thousand dollars a month before I revealed the domain. So I feel like I at least got the ball rolling and feel like I can say, okay, my strategies work from zero to a thousand. After that, certainly when I like emailed my list and said the site is owntheyard.com, like that was the highest traffic day, you know, by far, you know, thousands of people come visit it. So it's debatable how much that really helps though, right? People are mostly just looking, they're not necessarily building any links or anything like that, but maybe some pages have higher user metrics that Google's looking at because people are checking it out. I don't think it like shoots it, you know, to the moon, having my audience know what it is or anything I think like it that.
0: helps a bit though. It's like, I mean, I can see, you know, the auto site system, we also build like a case study site. And so we released a new version Like November, I think, um, like the first videos came out. I think people figured out end of November what the site was going to be by the time we actually did the niche research and so on. Well, direct traffic uh, increased and branded traffic increased basically. People typing the name of the site and people going directly on there and then it's like you I can kind of see how like that's when google started like crawling the site more and like organic traffic started creeping up on a brand new site the site was much younger i think it was like 2 months old at the time mm. when we shot it so it wasn't making money right it's like so it was it's interesting because when you are at zero you kind of like you get to see the effect of like what this might have it's like it might be a coincidence to be honest. Like maybe two three months is also kind of the time where Google will start sending you some traffic, not a lot, but some, you know. So it could be a coincidence, but I tend to see that like engagement tends to like boost rankings and um, you know, at the same as when people Google your a keyword, then click on it. You tend to rank up. Like I did that test on fastest WordPress theme for Authority Hacker. I literally just posted on Facebook. I was like, guys, Google fastest WordPress theme, click on Authority Hacker. Like 48 hours after we published the post and we were number 4 for like a few weeks you know and not against like the big WordPress sites etc just by just generating that metric so I can imagine that people Googling your brand and clicking on it, it, it helps. With, I mean, honestly, it's you get some benefits here, and then you get some negative size from the copycat so I think it kind of evens out. I'm not saying you get it easier for this, I'm just saying right. people Googling your brand, there is probably a little bit of help, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting discussion, you know, sort of how engagement metrics might improve Google rankings. I've noticed similar things, like when I publish a new article on niche pursuits, and if I share it on social media and include it in my email list, even if it's not like, Hey, go type in this keyword, you know, like it helps. I might publish it, you know, day one or two and not email about it. And then as soon as I email about it, like it jumps a lot of I times to same. page, page one, right? And so the same. if you can send a lot of external traffic to your, to your articles. It helps. Google notices that.
0: I mean, YouTube works exactly the same. So I would not be that surprised that they're trying to do something similar. It's the same company, right? But it's like, this is hard to prove, right? It's it, You can't really put numbers behind this or anything like that. So I always put like big quotes when I, when I say these things, you know?
2: Right. And it's not like it's a permanent ranking a lot of times, right? No, you you jump it up and then it, yeah. then it comes back down when you stop sending the traffic. But I hopefully agree. after a few months, it finally climbs its way back up. And sometimes mm-hmm. it does, sometimes it doesn't.
1: How have you been affected by the Amazon price changes last year? Has it it affected that site or your other sites in in a big way? And and what what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, the commission changes. The commission reduction, rather. Right. And what are you doing differently now when you're sort of researching and planning out sites given given that?
2: Yeah, there was there was a big uh, commission change in like April of twenty. Was it 2020? Yeah, 2020. Of course it was. And, uh, so that does, you know, that, that's no fun. And I sort of had the chart the month I had. And it's like, you know, it takes a nice little dip there in Amazon earnings. So what I've done actually with that site. And I don't know if it's, it's only because of that, but just a lot of other things that I found that it's become, I don't know if it's become more difficult, but it's certainly not getting any easier to rank for the very affiliate focused keywords. Like, you know, the best backyard, you know, shovel. Or there's whatever. always
0: fobs on the way, right?
2: Yeah, there's either <laughs> more competitors or Google's just ranking different, you know, Amazon's ranking better or whatever it is. So I have been focusing a lot more on like informational content, to be honest. Um, I published, I don't know how many, but it was a couple hundred like informational articles in the second half of 2020. That's really where I put all my content budget was to do that a lot of you know question based keywords things like that that were simple questions you don't have to write as in depth an article instead of like a 4000 word beast you know targeting an affiliate phrase you can write like maybe 1500 words and and rank well on a sort of question based keyword and so i did a lot of that so that i can increase my display ad earnings is the idea is to just rank for a lot more of these informational keywords and so that's that's the shift that i kind of made is to try and balance out the income a lot more with with that, those types of keywords.
0: Yeah, when you were doing the reports, it was mostly Amazon and then a little bit of Azoic. And then I guess, I guess, are you still in the 17 to $20 range per thousand visitors? I think that's what I read in your yeah. reports. Yeah. That's pretty good actually. That's good for Ezoic especially. Yep. Yeah, like it's, I, I've, I've experienced much lower with them, so that's why it's really good actually.
2: Yeah, no, it's been hovering around, around the $17 RPM mark for a while. So we'll see if that increases. Spring is for this particular niche does, does really well spring and summer. So it tends to increase.
0: Yeah. But like, you know, these ads, they're not that much niche dependent anymore. It's very like retargeting driven and like reselling, retargeting data and everything. So it's like, it's like, you kind of see most niches kind of converge towards the same earning per thousand visitors, you know? So like, it's like, as it's not just like the good times of, uh, of AdSense where you would pick the niche based on the CPC of the keywords, etc. It's a little bit different now in terms of like how you, buy, I mean, how you buy ads. I don't know if you buy ads for niche process. I guess you do for Link Whisper, right? I do. Well, you know how you do that, right? It's audience-based. Right. And then, so you build your audience and then it's lookalike audiences. So you can tell Facebook or Google, etc. to find lookalike audiences and essentially you buy these impressions. So they're not as keyword-targeted as they are like other user metrics built. And so therefore most sites tend to more or less get in the same range of uh, RPMs these days, actually.
1: Right. Would you, if you're building a new site now, case study or otherwise, would you make the primary focus of that info content and ads rather than affiliate?
2: No, I don't think so. But if I were to start a new site, I would not focus on Amazon, for sure. I would focus on, I really like sort of third party, you know, affiliate programs, you know, private affiliate programs right? So like, I think you guys did a, a software site, right? Or something software reviews. So that's kind of what I'm talking about is like those, they, they sell one product or a couple of products that got their private affiliate program. I would kind of focus on stuff like that, um, that make a little bit more commission, right? That's just different. You know, it's So many people are building Amazon affiliate sites and targeting the same things. I would really try to dive in and find something that's a little different if possible. I mean, sites have been built on everything under the sun at this point, but that's probably what I would do. Or I would buy an existing site and try to scale it, probably an existing site that's not as Amazon focused, right? And and try to scale what it's doing at that point.
1: Uh, have you done that a lot with, uh with existing domains or existing businesses? I've done it some. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have a
2: couple of sites right now that I've, that I acquired about two years. And so I've been growing gotcha. those and, and working on those.
1: What's the acquisition strategy then? How, how do you, get those how do you acquire those did you buy it off a broker or did you reach out to them directly did it come to you or
2: so two sites we can talk about one i bought privately um oddly enough i think it was in it was one of the facebook groups like the mediavine or adthrive facebook group i put a post out hey i'm looking to buy a site anybody looking to sell one of their you know blogs or sites and Sure enough, we got several people, actually, that were interested. And in those Facebook groups, you guys are probably aware, it's it's usually like bloggers, like mom bloggers or food bloggers. So it ended up being um, sort of a mom blog is what I ended up acquiring. So that was done privately, no broker, anything like that, A kind of a cool deal. The other one that I purchased was through Empire Flippers. It was um, just through a broker. So wherever I can find a good deal, right? I'm not really looking to acquire anything right now, but if I were, I would probably go both routes. I would just, wherever I can find the best deal and, and try and make a good acquisition
0: when you buy a site, do you revamp it a lot? Or do you just kind of like keep it flowing and just add more content or something like, do you try to change it a lot?
2: Yes. And no, didn't make a lot of like visual changes. Like didn't change the theme, anything like that. But like for the mom blog, uh, did a ton of on-page SEO work, updating articles. Just a lot of behind the scenes stuff made made a lot of changes in terms of even like ad layouts. And in this case, Amazon became a much bigger piece of the earnings than it was before. Before the person that owned it, she was focused display ads, you know, ad thrive and then uh, sponsored posts. That's a whole world. I don't know if you guys have talked about a lot that. I got a crash course two years ago when I first bought this site. It's a lot of work to do sponsored posts. It was a partner and I, we bought
1: it. By sponsored posts, you mean that people outreach to you asking for a link and you sell, sell them a guest post, sell them a link?
2: No, this is like a step above this, like legit brand oh, like like sponsored you know. yes. posts. Like That's going cool. to T- Tell us about that then. Yeah. So going to like influencer marketplaces, there's like Isaiah.com. There's, there's tons. There's, there's dozens of different Sort of influencer marketplaces. And that's where we would start. We had profiles on all of those. And so like big brands like Walmart, Hasbro, you know, you kind of name it like big brands, they post and say, we're looking for somebody to make a recipe with one of our items and take pictures of it and post it on their blog and share it on social media. And for that, we're going to pay, you know, $2,000 or $3,000 or whatever it is. Pretty good. Yeah. And some of them are, you know, up to $5,000 just depending on on what it is and who the brand is. So this is very common with like Fortune 500 companies. They reach out to lots and lots of bloggers. They have a new product or just something they're trying to push for that month they have a bunch of people write blog posts, share it on their social media. So that's what we do. And it's, it's a, it's a very involved process. There's contracts that go back and forth. You sign paperwork, you know, you get the exact instructions. And if you don't say this exact line in a video, you have to redo it. And we would out, I wouldn't do any of it. I would outsource it, right? Like we would have somebody make a video for us and and things like that.
0: I'm disappointed I was going to look for a recipe video from you on YouTube. No, you you don't want (laughs) recipes (laughs) from
2: Spencer. (laughs) I'm a a mac and cheese, ramen noodles kind of guy. Um,
0: That's what I wanted to see. That's my repertoire right there. Mm
2: -hmm. So we did that for the first year and we just found (laughs) it was so much work, time consuming. It was kind of out of my wheelhouse. I was like, you know what, we need to just focus on growing content and doing all the stuff. Passive, that, yeah. The like, more, be passive more passive stuff.
0: Like, it's like you build stuff once and so it makes you money for many months, basically.
2: Right. And so we've grown like the Amazon Associates earnings, for example. It was making like 600 bucks a month. And now it's making like $4,000 a month, right? So uh, we're not making the three or $4,000 a month in sponsored posts that we used to,
1: usually. We'll, we'll maybe do the rare one. But, you know, we've increased other areas. I have a question about the sponsored posts. So. Yeah. Do you think they're looking more for sites which have good kind of SEO metrics or it's more you have a lot of followers on social for that big burst of of promotion?
2: It's all about social followers. That's They, they look at the numbers, you know, and so this particular site does really well on Pinterest. And so they can see that it's got. I don't remember the number of followers, right? But it's got hundreds of thousands of followers or whatever. So numbers that they can see on Facebook or Pinterest or whatever, that's really what they're looking at. Plus they do look at traffic of the site overall, right? So if you get a, have a high traffic site and they want a blog post, they look at that, but they're not, for the most part, they're not even thinking, Oh, is this post going to rank in yeah. Google
0: at all? Do you even link to them? Do you do? You link, and if you do, do you no follow or not?
2: You do link to them. It's no follow, and yeah. you have to have, you know, that it's a sponsored post. You know, you have language, and often they supply that language for you, like you need to have this paragraph or whatever.
0: Okay, so it's clean.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's clean. You know, and so it's a very interesting world, though, because again, when you look at like the AdThrive, MediaVine, sort of the the craft bloggers, food bloggers that's a huge part of their revenue a lot of them is is this sponsored yeah. post you know i hate to say it but they're probably more hustlers than we are like they i was
0: going to say i don't i don't like it that much actually i don't like
2: it i don't like it you know they're hustling to get the deals and then they're hustling. I mean, they're making recipes. They're sewing clothes. They're taking it's a pictures. freelancer job.
0: It's a freelancer job. You're just a freelance content creator, basically. Yeah. Except you, you paid on like your, the audience you built, you know?
2: Yeah. And so the amount of work that some of these like true, like hands on bloggers are doing, it's, I mean, I applaud them. It's, it's amazing, you know, what they're doing. But yeah, I'm like, I, I can't do that. I got to go back to just trying to rank better in Google. You know, optimizing my on-page stuff and making some money from ads. Like that's, that works for me.
0: You mentioned Pinterest on this site and you did that on own the yard as well. Do you still do this? And how do you look at Pinterest these days versus maybe how it was like two years ago or something?
2: Yeah, Pinterest has changed a lot. There's been a lot of updates with Pinterest, but there's good traffic to be had there for sure. So I'm still on both sites, still active on Pinterest, still pinning a lot of new images. You know, it's gone. It seems like it's gone from like you used to be able to just schedule out hundreds of things oh, yeah. on Tailwind. With
0: Tailwind days. So yeah. now like
2: you got a live pin and use the Pinterest scheduler. And so, you know, like I've got an active B- VA that, you know, every day pins five or 10 images sort of thing. Uh, so I'm still doing that and it still brings in good traffic on both sites. And it just, it fluctuates. Sometimes you get a couple of pins to take off and sometimes you don't, but the traffic can be really good. So I think it's, you know, honestly, I think with display
0: ads is good actually uh, because yeah. display ads is like easily monetized. Like if you do it, if you do affiliates, it's kind of hard to sell stuff to people from Pinterest. But display ads, you get paid per impression. So at this point, if they click, they click. You know
2: exactly, exactly. If you can get you know a thousand visitors a day coming from Pinterest and they're yeah, just yeah. looking at display ads, that's that's great.
0: Yeah, I think it makes sense.
1: How do you produce content these days? I mean, I take it you're not obviously writing all yourself.
0: How do you, do too doing recipes on YouTube. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> how do you, how do you produce content at scale without having the quality kind of go down?
2: So a lot of standard operating procedures is really kind of the answer. And so coming up with a system and I, and I've done this like for own the art and, and other sites coming out with really well written. And for me, it's just spreadsheets, but it's really well written sort of checklists that people can follow with demonstration videos. You know, how do you, add meta descriptions and, you know, make sure the Yoast keyword is optimized and that sort of thing, you know, doing kind of all the really basic things in addition to the authors usually just write, but having these other checklists to make sure they're looking at all those things. And so my process that I followed is have this really good standard operating procedure for own the yard. I ended up having like seven or eight different authors when I sort of pushed, like I said, a couple hundred articles pretty quick. Um, at one point. And so they would write all the content. And then I have an editor that I trust and is, you know, knowledgeable and has proven that they can follow this checklist. They go through that editor and make sure the authors hit, you know, all those points. And that's really the process. And then like I, you know, I hate to say it, but like for own the yard, I wasn't then rechecking what the editor did. I just let it be scheduled, hit publish. And it's on the site. You know, it's a similar process for, um, other sites. Like sometimes I do outsource content for niche pursuits, right? I, I still write a lot of the content there. But if I have like an author that writes something, I become the editor. I don't outsource that for niche pursuits, right? Like I read and, and update, but it, you know, it's a similar process. You, you get your standard operating procedures. You get your authors. You get an editor that checks all the work. That's how you scale. Where do you hire these people from? So I've done pretty decent on ProBlogger job boards. You can get a lot of uh, decent authors. You know, you get a lot of applicants that you gotta weed through sometimes. So there, and then I've, I've done decent actually on Upwork. And I like to hire hourly if possible on Upwork. That's interesting, yes. why is that? Just because instead of like paying per word, you can sometimes either underpay or overpay, just depending on the individual author but I feel like if I am able to pay hourly for somebody that is really focused, you know, Sam i like I pay my editor, like $20 an hour. If she's really focused and working, she can edit and she also writes new content. Uh, she can produce a lot more content and ended up paying more. Uh, I end up paying less than I would if I just paid her five cents
1: a word or whatever. So that's interesting. We, we had the opposite experience whenever we've had like hourly, writers it's been a long time since we tried it but we felt that they they tended to just take a lot longer to to write the the content and it wasn't really that much better than it would have been so we stopped doing it quite a while ago
2: it can depend you know like i said i got my editor that she's hourly and like she's somebody that every once in a while you just find somebody that's a superstar and she was that like i've had her now for two years and she's awesome right and she'll I know she's working, she does great work. Others, yeah, you just come in, pay them per word, and that's fine.
1: And across all your sites, do you directly manage everyone or do you have like different people managing sites? Do you have different levels? Like, how how do you keep track of everything and keep everyone kind of focused and on point?
2: I have good people in place. I mean, at the end of the day, yes, the buck stops with me for all of it. So, in a way, yes, I'm managing all of that. But like for Own the Yard, As I explained, I've now got this sort of superstar editor where really she's doing everything, if I'm honest, right? Like I have her send me a weekly email with what she did and sort of I check in. But I've got a list of keywords that she's working through. I've got a list of content updates that I want her to do now. Um, Now that the site's a couple years old, I'm actually having her go back and update and refresh uh, some content. And beyond that, it's me just sort of checking in. So I do a little bit of both. I, I try to have really good people in place that are really managing the day to day. And I am just checking in once a week or, you know, monthly or that sort of thing.
0: Uh, we have similar, a similar system on some of our sites as well. Yeah. It's like, you know, I check on Friday afternoon or something and kind of Wait. catch back up and it takes me like two hours a week or something and that's it. So yeah, actually very similar. So I'm glad that we did the same. Seems to be um, doing all
1: right. Yeah, it's working.
0: Yeah, exactly. Do you have more questions on content, Mark?
1: No, I was going to go on to on-page SEO. Go for it. Tell us about, I know you want to talk about your internal linking because you, you now have a internal linking plugin tool, linguist .com, which is right. actually pretty good. But tell us about, in a broader sense, how you approach it uh, on-page for, for an affiliate site.
2: Yeah, so on-page, I mean, you guys have probably talked a lot about, I mean... First, you got to produce the the content that's actually targeting you know a specific keyword. We won't necessarily go into all that, but right, you want to optimize sort of the article for the keyword you're trying to rank for. You know, you've got your. Do, do you dis- use like
1: Surfer SEO or anything to to do that? These I've days, I've been
2: using Market Muse, yeah, a lot. I have used Surfer in the past, so I'm very familiar with that as well. But yeah, I I use Market Muse to kind of make sure that. Um, the articles are, and, and this is a big on-page thing, right, is you're using sort of the latent semantic keywords that either Market Muse or other tools maybe recommend, but also looking at the first page of Google um, and seeing what the other sites are um, talking about, like what are their headings, what are the main subjects within the article and making sure that you're hitting on those points. And I think you guys actually did a video on that yeah. not, not too long ago.
0: On the best flushing toilets article. Yeah, that's what
2: it was. (laughs) That's right. So watch that video if if people wanna know what we're talking about. I do something very similar. It's the idea is that Google is basically telling you what types of articles they're gonna rank uh, for this particular keyword. So just make sure you're doing that stuff, right? So that's a a big part of the on-page optimization strategy. And then the other thing, you know, is links. Uh, Links are important. And if you can build internal links, that's a great way to still get a link to your site. And so, of course, I love building internal links because you own the site. And if you've got, you know, other articles that are related to the one that you just published, like it just makes perfect sense to link to that article. And so, yeah, we don't have to jump into Link Whisper too much unless you want, but that's what Link Whisper does. It's a WordPress plugin that helps you build internal links much faster, much easier, sort of recommends what Just would be a Just one question good link. yeah,
0: about LinkWisp, what's the difference between the free version and the paid version? I think that's what people want to know because there's a okay. free version.
2: Yeah, yeah, there is a free version. And the free version uh, still gives you the link suggestions, like when you're editing your article, mm-hmm but it doesn't allow you to automatically build those links, right? So it just
0: lists. So you need to go do it yourself. You have to
2: do it yourself. So it says, here's what we would recommend as a link. But if you want to be able to sort of just check the box and hit, add the link, it's the premium version. There's a couple other little things, but that's kind of primarily is that it's, the free version is the do it yourself version.
0: I think, but I think people like, people might want to check the free version and then they can see how it looks like and then Whatever happens, it's in the WordPress repository, so just it for WordPress, basically. Yeah. Any more on pages SEO stuff?
1: No, just specifically on on internal linking. Um, so I mean, try and be as unbiased here as, as as possible, but like like how much of an impact does it actually have? on your SEO performance?
2: I did a case study on this for Own The Yard, actually, uh, so people can find that. Um, might have to do some Googling. I don't remember exactly what remember exactly. We'll put the URL it. below. There it. you okay, go. Yeah, it, like, yeah where, where basically I, I took some articles that didn't have any internal links, and then I built some internal links to like 30 different articles or something. Uh, and then I tracked the results over the next few months. And there was a noticeable impact. Most of the articles improved in Google, some of them dramatically, some of them not at all. A couple of them declined, but on average, they definitely improved their rankings in Google. Is it going to make you rank number one for a really competitive keyword? Probably not, right? It helps. It's, you know, it still is a signal to Google. It They rank web pages, right? And so if one web page is, uh, is linking to another web page, that still is a vote that that particular article should be ranking higher in Google. And so I think just depending on the keyword, it can have a really big impact.
1: Do you think it's more impactful in those competitive environments or in those less competitive environments where no one's really doing on page or not that much of it?
2: Right. Yeah. I think, you know, sort of in the lower competition realm, it's going to have a bigger impact. But it's it's sort of the thing is that like, if you're going after competitive keywords, You still have to do the internal links because everybody else is right it's just you probably are going to need some external links as well
1: all right let's talk about external links then Uh, what's your what's your current outbound link building strategy mix like what are you what are you doing guest posting what else
2: yeah so i will just say that my caveat here is that i've never been like a huge link builder right i've always kind of just done the minimum i've always been like i love to find easy to rank for keywords write the content and and try to rank it and that's worked pretty well so for like on the yard i have done some link building and most of that has been guest posting you know doing the whole outreach thing and and trying to land some guest posts i have tested out a couple of services for example as well like link building agencies like one recently is doing sort of your guys's method of the shotgun skyscraper technique Oh, OK. Yeah, so. yeah. And
0: Mark was on the podcast, too, no? It was Mark Mark Moss, right?
2: Yes. Yeah. With Niche so Website you're Builders. On the podcast. Yeah. So they've been doing that recently uh, for me. And so, of course, you know, Authority Hacker listeners know all about the shotgun skyscraper technique. So kind of been doing that. And that's I mean, for the most part, I wish I had like way more in-depth answer for you guys. But that's that's kind of been mostly what I've been doing.
0: I have a question for you. You've been doing sites for a really long time now. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that people need to be able to do more link building now or less link building now Oh boy! to be successful?
2: I think it's really important when you have a new site to get that site to a certain level with sort of a, a core number of, not necessarily a number of links, but it feels like there's a certain authority that your domain needs to reach. And then the it, it feels like, at least if you're going after the lower competition keywords, you don't need to be scaling your link building as much anymore. And that's always been my mentality is trying to get sites to kind of a certain authority level. And then at that point, like just producing content, doing internal links, trying to optimize on page. And it seems like I'm having a high enough hit rate, if you will, that it's, it's profitable. And so that's kind of been my overall mentality. Do you need to build more links? If I look at things like niche pursuits, yeah, yes. there's, there's <laughs> really competitive is. keywords that you got to have more links. We for. have
0: a Tori hacker. I understand.
2: <laughs> and, and that's, that's still like my ongoing debate is, is, um, like I want to rank for some of these keywords, but like yep. I'm just, I'm not going to outrank Ahrefs yeah. and HubSpot and, you know, all of these guys. And so I kind of have to like, tone my enthusiasm a little bit
0: sometimes. Uh, no, I think a guy to Luca is uh, Adam Enfroy. I don't know if you've checked his yeah, site. Yeah, yeah, I have seen
2: like, his Like This
0: stuff. guy is like, oh shit, actually it's, it's possible and he's definitely been killing it. Uh, he's on DR now, he might be even higher now, but he's been really hammering the link building. He comes with like pre-existing relationships because he was like an effect manager for like big commerce, etc. So uh, I'm expecting that he knew a lot of people that are linking to him now. But I think it's a good example. If you want to see someone who did it in that market, like he has been killing it with very active link building pretty much.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He's been mostly doing guest posting. And um, if you look at what he's doing, yeah, it's really interesting. And so I don't know if you want to dive too deep into that, but just with niche pursuits, seeing him and, and a couple other people, it's like, you know, maybe I should try some more active link building. And I haven't done a lot but I did reach out to a few people because I've been in the industry for, you know, 10 years or whatever. And so reaching out to a few people, I I have, I've landed a few guest post spots um, Mm -hmm. pretty easily. And so I feel like I very easily could, I could reach out to a hundred people and I don't know what the percent would be, but it would be much higher than, you know, probably other people. And I could do a bunch of guest posts, but then comes the debate of, Is that the road I wanna go down? Do I wanna be spending my time writing all those guest posts? Do I feel good about hiring like a ghostwriter to do guest posts for me? Do I wanna build out that process? You know, is it worth it? And so that's an ongoing sort of debate that I have with me. Like I said, I've got a few guest posts that I'm gonna do. Maybe I'll monitor those and see how it goes and decide if I wanna scale any more.
0: But the difficulty with this for this niche is that you'll need hundreds. To like really make a big impact it's just like the volume needed is is high you know it's like it's not like let's do five guest posts and then let's see how we're ranking it's like it's a sustained like intensive effort you know
2: right and so i mean the other thought is well okay if i'm not going to be doing a bunch of guest posting and things like that you know i have to look at my business like for niche pursuits and go you know it's doing really well already i can scale more content in certain areas that maybe are a little bit easier to rank for. There's other activities that I could be doing, which you guys are doing a lot better than me, like YouTube and capturing audiences in different places. That can scale the business. Still, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm I'm hot and cold depending on, you know, mm-hmm. j- the the time period. So anyways, that's that's just sort of some thoughts on niche pursuits.
0: Uh, another question for link building, maybe for your other size, but like, do you pay for links?
2: I don't... Pay for links like niche edits, if that's what you mean, that sort of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Any kind. Like, you know, if you do outreach and they're like, Oh yeah, I'll put your guest well, post okay, in newsletter or something. Yeah, I should right. take that
2: back, <laughs> especially because I have hired other services like niche website builders and they are, mm-hmm. they are paying for links, right? They'll okay. usually reach out for guest posts and then.
0: We said we would try this, yeah. So it's like, like we're not trying to be like, oh, this is bad, don't do this, etc. We actually literally said on the podcast, actually, we're going to try on some projects. So it's like, it's not like... It doesn't seem to be that much game. in
1: the way of like penalties or people not anymore. suffering yeah. from, from yeah. a little bit of it. Yeah, days. no, I haven't seen anything like
2: that. But but yeah, if it's, you know, 30 bucks or 50 bucks, it's like, all right, whatever.
0: Okay. Let's do it. Yeah, cool. But I think it's important to like, have that like real discussion and like really talk about this because you know what I mean? You know how this industry works, right? You have on some side, there you have like the white knights and then you have right. the real assumed black hat people and then it's like you kind of have to pick a side but like I think there's like there's, there's link buying and link buying, you know, like uh, doing all like spamming and then also just be like, You know, if you're putting, if you're posting a guest post on your site, I don't, I understand if it takes some time to people that they want to be paid for that time, you know, or something. It's like, I don't think it's that stupid. So I like the idea of that. Maybe there's some middle ground here where it can be done without excess or anything like this.
2: Right, and I I agree. And it sometimes depends on the site too, right? Like, so for Own The Yard or other sort of niche sites, I'm willing to experiment and try and, you know, do things. Like if, if that were my livelihood, like maybe I wouldn't do that, right? You know, niche pursuits, like I'm never gonna like buy a link or something like that. Like I care too much about the community and the, same and like, the business like, yeah. that I've built, right? Like I, I'm gonna try to keep that as squeaky clean as possible, but other little projects, eh, I'd try different things.
0: Yeah, I believe also that's part of our role to like actually experience the whole spectrum of the market and share the experiences, you know? So I think it's uh, something you probably should check. Going away from link building, I wanted to talk a little bit, not too long, about the recent Google Broadcore algo updates. Mm -hmm. And like what, essentially, everyone has their own interpretation of them. Like everyone just like (laughs) would explain it in one way. So it's always interesting to ask people, like, what do you think? Because it's like, you know, you have the E80 nights and you have the people who believe that it's just trying to to promote big, like big, big authority sites and kill all the affiliate sites, etc. So I just want to know what you think and where you stand in in that giant debate that's been around for two and a half years now. Yeah,
2: right. You know, I don't have a definitive answer or feel strongly like I know exactly what it is. You know, I try to look at uh, what the updates do and Boy, it's, it's been really interesting to just see that certain industries, it seemed like, at least um, I was talking with Matt Diggity not too long ago, he, we just recorded a podcast about a week ago, and basically every site that he was competing with, like they all got hit, including his site, like in kind of the health and fitness you know, space. I mean,
0: we had the same with Health Ambition, literally. Yeah. You know, we were doing skyscraper. At the time, we kind of like were doing skys- shotgun skyscraper, but we didn't share it publicly. And then all the sites we were doing Shotgun Skyscraper from, like the ideas we were getting, all these sites got killed. <laughs> so Man. it's like essentially we were just hitting the same themes, et cetera. And I was like, okay, we're done here.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. And so it's certainly not industry specific, but it's just interesting that he noticed like every site, except for like one or two in sort of the mm-hmm. health and fitness space got hit pretty hard. With my own sites, like fortunately I've actually saw seen improvement with my stuff, including on the yard not to get too sidetracked on the yard's kind of interesting because the winter months is really a, a decline because of seasonality. And so like when the core update hit, like I am not seeing an uptick in traffic per se, uh, it's this still table, just, right? it's just flat. But when I look at the number of organic keywords in AA Ahrefs that are now ranking, I'm ranking for more keywords, but the traffic's not going to come till spring because nobody's going to be searching for backyard games until spring. So I s- expect a really good spring Anyway it's just sort of an interesting thing I've noticed there and niche Pursuits has done really well in the Google Core update um, as well. but what I think I've seen is that the affiliate type keywords seem to have gotten hit a lot harder than other types of content And again this is looking at on the yard. I feel like I'm ranking worse for you know my best croquet sets, my best, frisbees my best you know whatever tool for your backyard it seems like those types of articles got hit a little bit more uh and my informational articles are kind of doing better so if i were to make any sort of you know statement about it that's at least in my world what i've seen
0: okay I don't know if I want to start a debate right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <It's>
2: like, <laughs> I, like I said, I haven't done like a wide study. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't I, have I, like I, a lot of data to back up any arguments. So if I you believe other a lot things, of the like...
0: industry. Yeah, I think the, a lot of the industry has a, bit, a lot of confirmation bias. You know, we spend our days looking at affiliate sites. So yeah. it's, like, it's kind of normal that you find affiliate sites that get hit, you know? And so it's, I'm sure if we spend our day looking at e-commerce sites, you might find a lot of e-commerce sites that got hit, etc. Uh, yeah. It's just hard to... Uh, uh, I don't have the data to back it up, so I'm not saying anything, but I'm saying it's usually normal to see like you look in your own garden and then you see what happened when there was a storm or something. You know what I mean? You get it. it's what you focus on that you, you see. And I don't know what these updates are, so it's like I'm not really taking we've always tried we've made a whole episode that will be aired before you, so it's already live if people want to check it out. About like discussing about this, but also discussing about how the industry reacts to this and how people make a lot of money. Essentially trying to explain these updates without necessarily knowing very much and, uh, and selling services and selling agency stuff, et cetera. And so like, uh, it is an interesting, but, but it's been two and a half years now. So I think it's time to, to start drawing some conclusions and learning how to live with them actually, because they kept happening at least until last December, you know?
2: Yeah. And also just related to updates that might be interesting is that, uh, nichepursuits.com actually got hit with the May core update it very much sort of, uh anyways, there there was a dip in traffic and it sort of was was slowly going down until this newest core update. And I will just say that I did a lot of work from May to November.
0: You removed a lot of content, right? You, I removed you a, a ton
2: of-, of content, you know, uh, just a lot of old stuff that wasn't relevant, old income reports that nobody cares about from 10 mm-hmm. years ago or whatever. So I removed like 200 articles, I optimized internal links a lot. And that honestly, not just adding internal links, I actually removed a lot of like, you know, I was linking to two different places that like were Amazon associates, right? Whatever. Mm. And so it, it could be confusing, right? Like if I'm linking to two different articles that mention the phrase, you know, keyword research, like Google's trying to figure out which article I'm trying to rank keyword research. So a lot of it was just, you know, optimizing that. A lot of technical SEO stuff is sort of the whole spectrum of things. And then I did a lot of content updates after I removed old content. I updated a lot of core content as well. And uh, then in December with the, the update, my traffic has definitely come back. And now just as of like this week, I'm finally like at where I was at May. Nice. And it's trending up. So I hope. You know, if things keep going, you know, I'll be higher than I was in May. And so I don't have an answer. I don't know why exactly my site was hit, but I sort of did the whole
1: spectrum to improve the site.
0: Yeah, it's the best practices, basically. like Cleaning yeah. things, are removing all, like, outdated uh, content, cleaning. In, the in a way, issues. that stuff,
1: that stuff that if you had infinite time, you, you would have been doing that throughout your, your sure. kind of progression anyway.
2: Exactly. Yeah, things just accumulate over time. And so if anybody's listening that, They're trying to, you know, recover from a Google core update. Like there's not an exact answer. Usually you just kind of got to do everything. Technical SEO, on-page SEO, you know, clean up content, everything. And, and hopefully when the next core update comes out, you know, you get the traffic back.
0: Makes sense. I agree. It's like following the best practices. Yeah. Okay. I want to finish on two things. It's like, if you had to do another case study tomorrow, what is one thing that you did on, on the yard that you would not do again?
2: Ah, uh, let's see. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs>
0: um.
2: Well, I already kind of mentioned it. Maybe this is the easy answer, but I don't think I'd do an Amazon affiliate site. Okay. I think I'd, I'd, I'd pick a different affiliate program. One that I felt like I wasn't going to get my commission rate cut.
0: And what's one thing you would do more of? What would I do
2: more of? Boy, you know, I'd have to think through like, because I could see a case study being specifically like more link building right? Like Mm -hmm. I could just try less content, more link building. That might be an interesting case study, just publish a site that's 30 articles and just do a ton of links. So Mm -hmm. maybe that or I could do the other route of just way more content, or maybe a case study that's more Pinterest focused, like I've done stuff on Pinterest, but maybe something where I just like, scale the crap out of Pinterest, like 100 pins a day. And Let's see what happens. Can I give
0: you a suggestion? So I don't know. So I know you're, you're, you're like working with like, you're essentially just promoting services, et cetera, in the industry, right? What I would do as a case study is I would partner with Global. they're like a pretty good expired domain kind of marketplace, yep, I'm familiar and I would with do them. a case study where you pick up one of their domains and you build zero links and you just do content.
1: That could be interesting. And I
0: think, and be like, can you replace, like, you know, because I agree with what you said, you know, you said like, oh, the first few links, they're really important, you reach a certain level of authority. And then it's kind of like there's a diminishing return to the extra links you're building, especially in more consumer-focused niche, right? It's so like if you're looking at online marketing, yes, you need DR70 plus or something. If you're looking, you know, like gardening stuff, et cetera, you can do some damage with a DR2530 site, you know? And so it'd be nice if you literally picked up that DR2530 site on day one and be like, can I just focus on the content if I pick up that? I think that the audience would like that. I think you would get a nice partner as well. They would definitely pay for you to feature them. <laughs> yep, yep. So that's my suggestion. Like, if we don't do these, but like, uh, I would suggest it.
2: Yeah, no, I I agree. And I know who they are. And mm. I think it's a good strategy. And honestly, when people come and talk to me, they ask, how should I get started? My answer now usually is go buy a site that's making a little bit of money that has a little bit of traction. Even if it's only making a couple hundred bucks a month, like, you know, it's ranking in Google you've skipped that whole first year. of And so that that would be a great case study. I know I have two friends right now that it essentially did that. They bought existing sites. One was more just kind of an expired domain that had authority. They scaled a ton of content. It's now doing, you know, $20,000 a month after great. about a year yep. and a half. The other person, I won't go into all the details, but he bought an existing sky- site and he's just, he's scaled it like crazy. So, There's a lot of really cool examples of people doing kind of what you're talking about. Yeah.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, Mark, do you have any other questions or anything you want to ask? No, no further questions. Well, Spencer, any question for us or something? Like any, do you want to like, uh, maybe we'll give you one shot at like firing back, you know, before we close it.
2: Uh, Since we're talking about (laughs) case studies, are you guys going to do any new case studies?
0: Public uh, we did the new one in the authority site system, right? So oh, the okay. case studies are essentially yeah. with the course. So there's a new site that we released in November, so it's pretty new, I guess. So we're going to focus on that. Uh, we're probably going to make it more of a living case study than we have done in the past for the other ones, where we just build them and kind of like, be like, okay, this is what your site should look like at the end. We have an active editorial team on it, et cetera. So that, yeah, we're not making it public. We're making it, I guess, semi-public for the people who are in the authority site system. Makes sense. I want to
1: add something to this as well um i'm sure you feel the same but because you start a public case study it creates this kind of weird incentive where times i'm sure it makes much more sense for you to focus on niche pursuits or some of your other more profitable sites but because you have this public case study and you know you've got that report coming out at the end of the month that you have to your kind of credibility is almost staked on it in a way so you have to kind of make sure it's it's good. It's progressing, even though if it's not the best, most Use optimal thing time, for yeah. you yeah. for you to do. And I I hate that concept. Like we <laughs> we really like felt felt the headache. wrath of it when we we done it in in the past with uh, health ambition a previous public case study we did we did. I'm not convinced that we will do like public public month by month case studies like that. We do have a project in the works at the moment, which is like. Coming to fruition, shall we say? And we're potentially, we'll do like a breakdown of it, like after what we happened, sell it, yeah. after, yeah, stuff. Happened. We haven't definitely decided if that's the, that's the route we want to go. But I think those kind of things. So it's kind of, it's not a full case study in the way that you've like, done it with the yard, like, yeah. but it would be kind of an after the fact.
0: Yeah. Case we've study. done that like two years ago already. We had like one of the sites we built and sold, you know? So it would be kind of similar. So I think that's what you can expect from us publicly, and then a bit more of a live case study inside the course. Uh, It allows us also to reduce the audience, to reduce the amount of copycats, et cetera. Like, you know how it works. Yep. So it's like, you know, I know if we did a public one, it would get a lot of attention, but at the same time, I agree with Mark on this. It comes with a lot of baggage. It's, It's a headache. Exactly. It's a
2: lot of work. It's stressful. And so if I were to predict right now, I don't know that I'm going to do another public case study. I've done four um, yeah, over I the know. past 10 years and it is, it's, it's a lot of work. It's stressful. I'm relieved, honestly, that, you know, the site's making three, <laughs> $4,000 a month. I can call yeah. it good in that regard. You know, I'll, I'll keep reporting every six months or whatever on the site and probably eventually sell it. And so I don't even have to think about it. But I don't know that I'll do another one. We'll see. You know, I'm not gonna close The thing the door. as well
0: is uh even though you've been successful four times already. So I think you've shown that you can do the it's not just luck, right? You can do this multiple times. Yeah. I think even if you failed one, people would really hold it against you and it would actually like cost you a lot of reputation, kind of. Even though like you probably have a lot of projects that work well on the side that you're not necessarily showing publicly, et cetera. And so it's, it's always, it's almost like the stakes get higher every time, you know?
2: That's true. Um, Yeah. The stakes weren't um, very high when I first started, right? I didn't really have much of an audience. Exactly. Now I've already got the audience, you know, am I going to be losing more people than I'm gaining? So,
0: and I think it's a reality of things that a lot of people understand, but a lot of people don't understand that projects do fail and it's okay. And it's like, it happens and it's, or sometimes it doesn't work as well as you expected or something like this. We've had many of these and I'm sure it happened as well to you. Yeah. And, uh, Yeah. Okay. Well, that was your question. Thank you, Spencer. (laughs) Thank you for joining. I hope you had a little bit of fun. I hope people who listened had a little bit of fun. And uh, also you have a podcast on niche pursuits where you interview people so people can go check that out on uh, audio and you have that on YouTube as well now as well. That's correct. So people can go check that out. You have a free Facebook group, if I'm not wrong. That's correct. You have Motion Invest and you have Link Whisper that people can check on top of uh, niche pursuits. And uh, well, we're going to wrap it up. So thank you everyone for joining and we'll see everyone next week. Bye.
2: Thanks a lot, guys. Great talking to you.